0: You're listening to the Nature Photography Show. In this episode, I interview Michael the Maven of Maven Photography Filters. All right, so I have a guest with me today for this episode, and I'm trying to figure out what how I should refer to him, if it's Michael Andrew or if it's Michael the Maven. So, Michael, how are you today?
1: Hey, great. Thank you for having me on, Jason. To answer your question, Michael, just Michael's fine. Uh, Michael the Maven is is sort of like my instructor's stage name, but my friends call me Michael.
0: Okay. All right. Excellent. Are you a photographer, first of all, and then we'll get into why it was I contacted you in the first place.
1: Yes, I've been shooting. I've been shooting photography since, let's see, 1999. I was on a, a Nikon Coolpix. I think it was a two megapixel cameras is when I started messing around with it and then I started getting more serious about it around 2003 which my first DSLR was uh, a Nikon 10D and I I was shooting more video for weddings at the time and I had a friend who, who wanted me to do the photography and I was just like hey you know I'm not really sure about that but he wouldn't let up so I shot his wedding and that's really where it started so you started in digital uh, I had a film camera, but yeah, the, the first real camera I had was digital, you know, and I experimented with film and I, and I messed with it, but I, it was just too easy to, you know, shoot and edit in digital to get that instant feedback. So I, I kind of just set it aside. It was, yeah, basically started in digital. Oh,
0: that's excellent. I know a lot of folks, they start like I did in film and and migrated their way. I was one of the holdouts saying, no, no, film is so much better than digital. And of course, I have said that until I shot my first digital camera and I haven't looked back since.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a reoccurring theme that we're seeing over and over is, is the product of convenience. You know, if, if, if something is measurably more convenient, but maybe not even as good as something else, it'll win. I mean, look at McDonald's. McDonald's isn't really good food. It's like really convenient. You know, it's fast, it's easy to get, tastes good enough. Yeah. And convenience is something, you know, that, that we think about a lot in the products that we make now is, is how can we make this more convenient for our customers?
0: When you talk about products, the reason why I contacted you in the the first place, obviously you've been a photographer for a long time, but I kept hearing on YouTube and uh, friends of mine here in, in West Palm beach or in the homestead with the camera club, they were always talking about uh, these Maven filters and I had never heard of it. And I got to be honest, I hadn't even heard of you on YouTube. And now that I see your youtube channel i wonder how i managed to miss that but anyway they they said hey you got to check out this kickstarter uh, maven filters and at the time i was like i don't need another set of filters i'm good and then of course once that bug was in my ear i couldn't help but go look at the kickstarter and then i saw it and i was like oh these are these are really good especially if they hold up like like they seem they're going to and i got my hands on them i tried them they are amazing. And so I reached out to you and said, "Hey, why don't we uh, why don't we do a
1: podcast?" So you
0: you have a chance to talk about what you do and the fact that you make some awesome filters.
1: Appreciate that so much. The YouTube channel has been running since 2007. Probably part of the reason why you haven't seen or heard of me is I focus a lot of my content for pure beginners who it's their first camera. You know they've never shot before, and so you wouldn't be looking for a tutorial on you know how to operate a camera but that's that's most of the content that I'm putting out now. We're starting to get more into tutorials on filters. But the filter journey has this has been something that I've I've been, you know, working on probably around 2015-2016 is is when I started getting interested in trying to make filters and it's we've had a lot of you know, when I say we I'm talking about me and and you know, my company and the employees and my teammates um, we've had a lot of problems getting to where we, you know, where we are, but I'm very proud of the Maven magnetic line. And uh, we, we launched the Kickstarter back in October, I think it was October 4th, 2022, finished in November 4th of 2022. And on Kickstarter, we had over 1,700 cells and raised just under $500,000. So we had a lot of interest, a lot of support and you know there's there's a lot of information that I hope I can share about you know the design and some of the things that and why we did things you know the things we did but we we then took it over to Indiegogo for you know just over 6 weeks or so and now we've launched on our own website and, and sales are strong things are going great we just closed the deal with Adorama they're they're listed on Adorama now and uh, I don't think they've officially launched them but very close to launching there and we're just going to continue to you know, open the channels and try to get them into the hands of customers like you, you know, landscape photographers is our number one customer.
0: Right. And there's some use case there for video uh, folks as well, being able to use
1: those ND filters. Yes, definitely. You know, like when you when you look at the type of photographer in, you know, the kind of shooting they're doing landscape photographers, they pretty much need everything, you know, so CPL, 3 3 stop 6 stop 10 stop at minimum you, you know sometimes combo filters videographers if they're using you know if they're shooting outside or if they're using wide aperture lenses they absolutely need nd filters uh hopefully we can talk about variable nd fil- filters there's there's a lot of videographers who use variable ND, nd filters i don't recommend that i don't think they're very good and then you you also have portrait photographers who are who are shooting with strobes that we'll we'll need a three stop ND to to balance with with daylight and so, you know we're just trying to really get into the the camera bags and in the minds and hands of, you know people who would use the filters and make it as easy as possible for them. That's really what we're trying to do. The customer comes first for us, and 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 when we went into the design of the filters, it was like how can we solve the pain points? Okay, so what are the pain points? You know we we listed them out and we just that's what we work towards
0: and i think that was my first impression when i when i got them and again my mindset was oh it's another set of filters i've been using filters for a very long time from various companies and i couldn't figure out why photography filters and why would we have a new filter company out and then i really started digging into and looking at what problems this solves and Mm -hmm. the little case alone solves a tremendous amount of trouble that you have when you're out because you can just take the case, stick it in your pocket and they're all right there. The magnets are nice and strong. It's easy to change. I think one of the big issues that I've always had with filters is sometimes the burden of dealing with them is just too much and you just say, "Okay, forget it. I don't I don't want to carry them. I don't want to take it with me. I don't need the extra weight. I don't really need this filter. I can manage to figure something out." But with these, I had a chance to shoot at the beach recently, and I just had them in my pocket. And to be able mm-hmm. to just take them out and slap them on real easy with whatever I happened to need at the time, that solved the problem of logistics. And for me, that was huge. So when I got back to the house, I was like, oh, I wonder what, the, what it looks like in post. Because I've used some that there's going to be a strong tint from it that you're going to have to yep. deal with. And I found that I didn't have to do anything. And I, I thought that was... Yep. That was great. So why, why photography filters? What made you think, I think I'm going to make new
1: photo filters? <laughs> yeah. I'll give you a great example. I'm not afraid to name them. Lee. The Lee Big Stopper. It is world famous. Everybody knows about it. It's an expensive filter. But if you use that filter and you're locking your white balance and you take a picture, you're going to see a color shift. It's, it's really strong. And And I think I was irritated that I had spent all this money on a high-end filter, brand name filter. Why did I have to spend extra time, you know, color correcting in post? I couldn't. That really bothered me. This was probably, you know, probably around 2015, 2016. And I was like, you know what? The word ND means neutral density. Neutral means no color shift. You know, I mean, if it's truly neutral, it shouldn't have this blue shift. And I was like, how can they call this thing a neutral density filter if it if there's this crazy blue shift? And I was like, I was like, well, I was just unhappy, you know. So what happened was I went out and I started buying all these ND filters, variable NDs, regular NDs, and I learned pretty quick that most of the ND filters out there, with some exceptions, there are some good exceptions. Most of them had color shift. So I was like, wow. I was like, this is crazy. It's like, I mean, I I would just prefer not to do the the correcting in post. Why not take these extra steps out, you know, of the process? And that's that's really where it started. For you know, your viewers that don't know what a you know what the Maven filters look like, they're color-coded. So every filter has a different color to them. And this is to make it easier to find them, you know, in your camera bag. It might, might I'm getting older, my vision's getting bad, and I don't want to read the fine print. And if you look at All of the filters out there, the vast majority of them are black, or they are a single color made by certain manufacturers. They, you know, they have their one color, but all their filters within that product lineup look the same. This becomes a problem as you're shooting is you have to start looking for your filters. You have to get out your reading glasses. You have to really inspect, well, that's teeny little print. So these are all extra steps that the photographer has to go through in order to get into, you know, the actual shooting. You know, looking at this, I was like, you know what, there's an opportunity here to really disrupt the industry in regards to filters. And there were some other things I didn't like that. I i, I mean, this is just my opinion, but the way filters are advertised, it, a lot of times it's pretty it's deceptive. You know, like we we're talking about ND filters, for example, if, if a camera company knows that their filter is not neutral, why are they calling it a neutral density filter? Things along those lines, or, you know, like a true color polarizer. There is no such thing as a true color polarizer. Uh, Polarizers are going to filter, you know, colored wavelengths out depending on how the angle of light's coming in. So it's impossible. So why are they calling it true color? You know, stuff like that. Those kinds of things, you know, and some other things I learned about, the, you know, like the YouTube industry is a topic called asymmetric knowledge. I don't know how deep you want to go into this. But it's when an influencer or a company knows more than the customer knows, and they use that to their advantage in order to get more sales. So I'll give you a great example, and and I've and I've spoken about this, and I don't want people to know that I'm a poo pooer. I side with my viewers and my customers. I, they come first for me. So the I'll give you the great, the best, most common example of how. Um, companies are playing people like violins right now on YouTube. Is they will have a product that they're about to launch, and what they'll do is they will incentivize product reviews before the launch. So let's say you're a camera company and you got your your brand new hot camera. Well, let's let's fly them all out to an exotic location. So all expenses paid. You know your flights, your hotels, your food. Here are these fun events all gifted to the influencers. And in return, the influencers are expected to produce content promoting the product, even though it might have a problem, like it might overheat or it might break or something like that. And so what what manufacturers have figured out is if if they have these press events or they incentivize the right influencers, they can flood YouTube with mostly positive reviews before the legitimate reviewers come out with their, you know, objective reviews on it. So it's a way for them to really manipulate the search engines, get those views up high. So when they, you know, by the time, you know, the regular reviewer gets his camera or his gear and reviews it and he has something negative to say, the basic viewer on YouTube won't find it. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, that makes uh, complete sense, and I see that all the time. I just didn't know what to call it, but yeah, I see it. Uh, I know before something is launched, you'll have tons of YouTube channels that are talking about how great it was and the fact that they got to go to New York City or wherever it was to to a big event with all expenses paid and to play with the camera for a while or whatever it happens to be, and that's pretty much all you see in the beginning, and then when normal people start getting it, Like you said, they the search engines are already up there for the others.
1: You and I and there's experienced photographers out there who can kind of see it and recognize it and say, oh, okay, I know what this is. But there is a huge number of new shooters and new photographers who don't know better. And they're going, you know, they're going to YouTube for the first time and they're doing this search and now they find 20 reviews. All of them are positive amazing. Okay, I'm going to buy that camera where they don't know that there is a material connection between the manufacturer and the person doing the review. In some cases, those companies will pay the reviewers, you know, to give a a positive endorsement. And the FTC doesn't really regulate it now in terms of they don't really police it, but they definitely have rules. And, And so this is without a disclosure, it's illegal. So talking about disclosures it basically means the the reviewer or the person giving the endorsement has to say this camera company paid for my flight for my hotel for my food they gave me the gear if they do not say that they they have broken the law and it's and there's some people who have gotten better about it but it still goes on all the time because they think they are um like a, a news company you know because they're a blogger they're a news company and they don't have to disclose it well the truth of the matter is even if You were for a news company, you would still have to disclose it. So it's just one of these things that nobody has really tried to police or do anything about. And I feel bad for my customers when I see it. I never understood the legal
0: side of it, never got into it enough. But I know if I do a review and even if the company sent me a bag, for example, to review, I will make sure to say that they sent the bag and whether or not I have to send it back or whether or not I keep it. Because to me, a lot of this could be solved with just trying to be decent to the people that are watching.
1: YouTubers are incentivized, you know, for for their own benefit. Of course, you know, it's obvious they want lots of views. They want to to make their channel grow. They want to have, you know, sponsorships and, and get access to the gear early because it gives them more clout and more traction. So they're, you know, they're, I understand why why people do it, but at the same time, if we're not being honest with, you know what? Hey, I found this problem. Uh, I'll give you an example. Tony and Chelsea Northrup, great friends. They went to one of these press events and they found these problems with these cameras and they talked about it in their video and they just weren't invited back. The, the company that you know they were talking about just said, we're, we're not gonna invite you back anymore. Wow. And yeah, so it, I mean, it happens all the time. And even when I launched it, you know, it's a good strategy for advertising, but I, I wanted to make sure that anybody who is doing a review, obviously not going to pay anybody for reviews. That'd be crazy. A paid review is not a review, by the way. Right. (laughs) Uh, You know, but there are people I have seen videos where where they were paid handsomely and they made the quote unquote review and they didn't disclose it. And it's total deception. I mean, it's anyway, so we sent out when we're getting ready to launch probably 35, 40 sets. And I told them, I said, you have to disclose this. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah out of those 35 and 40 sets we had one person actually post the review and it was it was todd domney somebody i didn't hadn't really known i mean without him and a few other reviewers i don't think we would have had the the success that we had with maven filters because you got to get you got to get the word out there you know
0: i understand completely and it's frustrating to think that i'm watching all these videos and they never say whether or not they're sponsored yeah it just seems like it's uh like i said being a decent person just to say, hey, I I got this for free. So just keep Mm -hmm. that in mind as you're listening to the review. Uh, The individual that you just mentioned, I'm gonna spend some time looking them up and find out more about them. And I may end up giving them a call
1: to be on the show too. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) Yeah, Todd's, Todd's great. Coming back to this topic of asymmetric knowledge, it applies in the filter world where customers are being told and taught things that are not true about filters great example somebody buys a camera and the salesman is like hey you need this uv filter it's go- going to cut your haze down well digital cameras don't capture uv light so in the case of digital cameras that has nothing to do with cutting the haze out and and so having you know been very long winded about all this I am against asymmetric knowledge. If I know something is wrong with my filters, you know, I can only control what we're doing. But if something's wrong with my filters, I'm going to talk about it. You know, we just ran into a problem with some step-up rings. So I, you know, I made a post. Hey, we have a problem with some step-up rings. This is what's going on. This is what we're doing to fix it. And I feel that if I'm honest with my customers, treat them fairly, treat them with respect, I can develop, you know, this culture of the brand that, hey, not only are these great filters, but Michael has told the truth. Do you see what I'm saying?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and the fact that you're taking time to tell the truth says that you care more than just about their money. And that's excellent. There is a
1: number of reasons for that. But we want, as part of our, you know, as part of the culture of the Maven brand, we want people to trust us and say, okay, he's, he's a straight shooter. He's not tricking us. I'll give you another example. Variable NDs. There is actually no such thing as a variable ND, but that is what they re- they are referred to in the industry. They're actually dual polarizers. Polarizers cannot be color neutral. So why are they called variable neutral density filters? <laughs> and, the re- and they have become mostly successful because of certain influencers who have promoted them as this is what you need. And if you look at the, you know, like the movie industry, the film industry, people who are shooting in Hollywood, doing really high end work, almost none of them use variable NDs. They're all using solid NDs because of the the problems associated with VNDs. So I I think VNDs are on the bottom of the food chain in regards to, you know, filters. Maybe we'll make them at some point, but I I would at least teach my customers, this is these are some negatives you need to know about, you know, what this, this product's doing
0: i have used one variable nd filter in the past and all i kept doing was putting a big giant x on my my
1: (laughs) images so i said that was enough of that and i never touched another one i mean i got i bought one i think it's like back in 2012 or something it was a 400 vnd the guy at the store really i didn't know any better you know he's like hey you need this this is a variable nd and i was like wow this is great it's 400 and i you know i put it on there and and so not only did it have cutter color shift it had the x pattern (laughs) <laughs> problem that you that you're mentioning. And I, I would even notice that the reflections and color would change as I was rotating this thing onto my lens. And I'm like, wow, this is not, this is not neutral at all. But they are extremely popular right now with vloggers and videographers for what we talk about, you know, the influencers pushing them. But if you're doing any serious kind of work for for color, I would say absolutely do not use a variable ND. But yet they're they're one of the best selling filters on the market right now
0: i guess it's because of the the whole youtube influencer and the fact that there this particular subject is resonating with the viewers and because it's a lot of it's about convenience and people see this and say oh well this is the convenient choice for me because now i can spend x amount of money and get a variable and i don't have to buy all the individuals that are out there and yep. this will solve all kinds of problems and save me money and then they get it and they'll be like me. I spent, I don't know how much money on mine. And I used it once and said, well, that's it. That's another piece of equipment that I'll never touch again.
1: I feel like there's some responsibility to teach. And there's a time and place for VNDs. You know, like like you said, they're very convenient. I know some people who do a lot of running gun shooting where they might go from indoors to outdoors very quickly. Those kinds of situations, super convenient. But I would still expect to kind of teach my customers that, hey, this is this is one of the downsides of using this, you know, before saying, hey, this is a variable neutral density. It's, it's a silver bullet. It's going to solve all your problems. Every filter has drawbacks. Every single one, even ours, you know, our competitors have drawbacks. I, I don't believe in in selling the silver bullet to everybody. I, I believe in saying, hey, this is one of the limits of, of our product. You should know about it.
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that you've said while we've been talking that that caught my attention. One of the big ones is the fact that you found issues with your own stuff. And let's face it, if you're manufacturing anything, you're going to eventually find issues with it, whether it's a color shift or whether it's an issue with a step-up ring like you were talking about. The difference is the people that either try to downplay it or they try to hide it or they just tell people not to mention it. You were talking with the influencers, getting on, talking about all this wonderful stuff, and they never mentioned those negative things. I think there's a, a lot to be said for what you've been talking about with the truth of just saying, hey, look, we encountered this issue. We're we're addressing it. This is the stuff that we're going to do to fix it. Or if you're using this particular product of mine, then you're going to experience this part of it. And it mm-hmm. may not be the, the coolest part of it, but at least the people that buy it know it before
1: they get it. Yes, absolutely. I'll give you a great example is vignetting. So when you, when you start stacking filters on wide angle lenses, you'll, you'll run into mechanical vignetting at some point, right? So this is darkening in the corners, you know, you'll see it at 16 millimeters, 15 millimeters, 14 millimeters. A lot of this has to do with the specific lens design from different manufacturers. Take, for example, the Sony 16 to 35 2.8. It's an amazing lens. I own it super sharp. It's probably one of the best ones you can get. You know, if you're shooting wide angle zooms on Sony's, it vignettes really easily, you know? And so we we had a couple customers that said, Hey, your filters are vignetting. So, what we're doing is we're building a database of vignetting images for different lenses. So, if you have a 16 to 35, this is what you can expect for you know, one filter if you're stacking two filters. Here's what you can expect if you're using a step up ring with a larger filter, which eliminates most of it, or if you're stopping down and, and showing them what they can expect before they buy it. You know, we're working on ways to to minimize it. But I would rather just be open and say this is a limit of it instead of having to deal with an upset customer who thought they were going to get something that would you know solve all their problems. So being proactive, uh, as soon as we know a problem, talking about it, building trust with our customers and if they're unhappy, you know, then we then we would give them a refund. But we have lots of great customers who have been happy almost, in fact, all of them have been very understanding and patient. you know it's a new company, we're working our kinks out. And I, I just want to continue that moving forward is to be, just be honest with my customers and see it from their side. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, no, it totally makes sense. And and just for the record, I bought your filters with my money. So no mm-hmm. one sent me anything. You didn't send me anything. We didn't talk about it before. Your
1: review is the best kind. It's It's the truest form of organic review when the reviewer has spent their own money to get the product. I think it's a good idea for them to say, Hey, I bought this with my own money, but they can say anything they want and they have no strings or ties to the companies. There's no repercussions. There's no problems. You know, that, that is the best kind of review, which is truly organic. And in some cases, the manufacturers will want to screen the video and they'll say, no, you can't say that, or yes, you can say that. And that, that's just flat. You can't call that a review. It's, it's, no. it's something else, you know, I don't know. I don't know what that's to call it. Paid advertisement. Yeah. Paid advertising. They should, they should see it as paid advertising in, in the cases where There's this material relationship and, um, you know, the company's telling them what they can and cannot post. I don't want to go too crazy (laughs) off on that subject, but the background helps because these are tactics that are being used by pretty much all companies in the camera industry. And if your viewers know how to recognize this as they're watching the YouTube video, they'll be far more savvy and they'll, they'll avoid some problems and some heartaches of, you know, buying something that they may not need or maybe a false review is given for
0: yeah, you're absolutely right. you got to be able to identify this stuff because nothing in photography is cheap. Absolutely nothing is yeah. cheap. So the the filters may be the least expensive of the stuff yeah. that you buy. So yeah, you're spending hard-earned money. And if you're not getting the honest reviews that you need, then you're possibly buying something that absolutely won't work for you. And that's that's terrible. So your filters, we've talked a little bit about what sets them apart. From Mm -hmm. your competitors, but what can you tell me—the technical details about your filters and why you chose the the
1: route that you've chosen? It's interesting that magnetic filters were actually the second line. We, I, 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 no, actually the third line. So we started off with the square filters, you know, the 100 by 100s, and the goal there was just to make a color neutral product. You know, make these as good as you can, and we were successful in that. So once we had the glass figured out. A lot of my viewers are like, where are the ring versions? This was in 2019, right before COVID. And so I started, you know, contacting various manufacturers and communicating with them. And, you know, it's like you said, it's easy to make a prototype. It is much harder to ensure the specifications and performance are uniform across thousands. That's a completely different ball game. So a lot of this was screening through the companies to figure out how well do they communicate? You know, are they able to make a quality product? Let me see the prototypes. And this went on for a while and and then COVID hit, you know, so I was getting ready to launch before COVID hit and was, it's was like, oh man, I'll have to wait. And it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because it gave me more time to develop the product and make it better and do more research. And, you know, it really came from the desire to disrupt the filter industry, to do something that nobody has had ever seen before. And so the color coding, I remember when I got the idea for it was 2019, I was sitting I was actually in China. This is right before COVID hit. And I was speaking with the manufacturer about the importance of differentiation. And do you know the Louboutin story, the shoe manufacturer? Have you heard this? No. Louboutin is a famous women's shoe, dress shoe, very highly respected, great brand, uh, recognized worldwide. And he was a shoemaker in New York. I don't remember the year. I think it was like 1960s or 70s. And he decided I need to make my product stand out, I need to make something special about this, so he took a bottle of women's red nail polish and painted the bottoms of the shoes red. And this was the beginning of of how Louboutin really became a successful shoe manufacturer was by differentiating themselves with color. And that example has always stuck to me is like if everybody's making something that's colored black you can really stand out by making a product that's colored, you know, it's the same thing. And, and, I, and when it struck me, I was like, you know, we're just going to make these color coded, make them easier to, to see you, and just make it. So you don't even need your reading glasses. If you know the color and that color is associated with its use, then it, then it'll become really easy. So in the case of a polarizer, polarizers are blue because you typically use them to make blue skies pop or to see through water. Right? So there's, a connection between the color and how it is supposed to used. you know red is a three-stop filter because if you press that red video record button you are going to want to use that so you can use the 180 degree shutter rule you know if, if you're familiar with that or if it's you know if you're shooting long daytime exposures in the day we might want that gold filter because sun the sun is orange right so we wanted the colors to be associated with their use to make it easier to learn how to use them. And we we looked at everything in regards to reducing extra steps. We wanted to remove anything that put a burden on the shooter, you know, and so threading the filters on was something that we said, you know what, we should take a look at, at magnetics. It's way faster. It's way easier to use a magnetic filter that's strong. Some of our competitors use weaker magnets that can fall off if you bump your camera. We wanted these to be really strong magnets we, we looked at accessibility, you know, um, if somebody had a disability with their vision, how, how would they be able to see the color differences, you know, if they're colorblind, for example. So every ring had a tactile groove that was unique and specific that could identify the filter. So if you're in a dark shooting situation, you could feel which filter was on your lens. And we've had a couple of vision impaired photographers use the filters. And they just said it's really changed, you know, everything for them. So taking the quality of the glass, looking at the usability to make them super easy to use, that's really where we stand apart from our competitors. When we started and launched, we were the only color-coded filter system I was aware of. About seven weeks later, there was another manufacturer that came out and said, hey, we're color-coded too. And we're starting to see it more and more in, in other manufacturers. But in the beginning, we were we were really the first color-coded filter system, and we do have patents pending. So, I, I've not really publicized that too much, but we've we've applied for a number of patents, and that could be a problem for some of those companies in the future. I don't know. I hadn't even considered the colors
0: when I first started looking. I, I couldn't figure out why. Okay, why do we have different colors? And then I realized that I'm almost fifty now, so when I have to look at the filter. I've got to look through the right part of my glasses. And mm-hmm. if I'm shooting outside in the morning or in the evening, I'm already in trouble and right. I'm getting my flashlight trying to look. So the, the colors, the second that I realized that they were related to what they did, I knew that that was going to be awesome. And then when I got to use them myself to just be able to glance, grab what I needed and slap it on the end. And you said that, like you said, the magnets are really, really solid. They're good even for stacking all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, had not seen anything like that before. And I do remember a few weeks after you went live with it all that uh, another manufacturer said, Oh, look what we're doing. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, like this has never happened before. (laughs) Yeah. Except for six weeks ago.
1: Yeah. And there's, there's actually a whole background story about that, that this, you know, they, they, you know, they said they had been working on it for a year, but you know, the truth of the matter is most of these filter companies talk to each other and you know i was probably too slow and somebody got an idea or something or maybe they came up with it on our so i i just found it highly suspicious that you know i was working on it at the same time and and uh you know if had they had they gotten theirs out before mine i would have been the copycat you know so i right long story short i was given a warning somebody said hey we know that somebody's working on something that's almost identical to yours you might want to might want to hurry up a little bit and i'm like wow i was like okay And I saw the picture and the the colors on some of them were exactly the same. So, you know, I was like, wow, this doesn't look to be coincidence. And I have the picture and it's interesting because it's it's all written in Chinese and it has arrows on it. And I was like, well, this is, you know, but that's that's the world of competition is you have to you have to deal with competition. Even the case, the quick draw case that we have. Has a patent pending on it. And it, for the viewers that don't know, the magnetic filters stick together. And that's great for convenience and portability. You can, you can get it really, really small. We have a back cap. So you can literally carry them as a stack in your pocket. But they're a little hard to pry apart. You know, when you're trying to remove them, that's a little bit inconvenient. So we designed a quick draw case to separate the filters. So you can you can grab them quickly without them sticking together and get them on your camera. We we feel that that is as important to the experience as the colors as the magnets themselves is to have a great case. But we're just trying to make everybody's life easier with with using filters.
0: I completely agree. And like I said, after having just taken the case and shoved it in my pocket and going to the beach for for photos, it was very, very convenient and easy to use. And the fact that you can just open it up real quick and get the one that you want and slap it onto the end of your lens. put the other one up, it it works wonderfully. It works exactly as it's needed to. And you kept it small and convenient size so that it can fit into like for me, I I wear cargo shorts all the time. So it fits into those just fine. No problem at all. And it would I wouldn't have any problem with jeans or anything. I just think it's very convenient compared to the filter wallets that I have where mm-hmm. you flip them out and now you've got to try to find the right one out of this huge case that you're carrying that doesn't fit anywhere of any convenience at all. And you've got to read those little fine prints to say, oh, yep, that's the
1: that's the six stop that I was looking for. We looked, you know, there's a number of cases. A lot of them are, are the same. And the problem with, you know, how photographers have their own preferences in terms of how they want to carry some, you know, mm-hmm. they want a clip that they can clip it onto their tripod. They want You know, maybe they just want to carry one or two in their pockets. And so we looked at how the cases were made and how they were being used with the filters. And we didn't like those folio type cases because they were they just created extra steps, you know, that you have to open it. and You got to pull this slide to separate it. And, you know, it just is too intricate, too hard. And that's that's really where the quick drop case came. It's it's transparent. You can see through the case. You know exactly which filter you, you have and where it is. There's five of them in one. You open one lid. It's just it's just a lot faster. And, and so we look at everything that would make it easier for the customer, whereas the trend that we see in some of our competitors, in some ways, it's like they're making it harder. Uh, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with some of these new – they call them filter systems where it's a big kit – and there's a number of companies doing it. It's like the, the product is actually getting larger and less convenient, harder to carry, more, you know, heavier. And that's their design philosophy. If they if they think that's what their customers really want. But my guess would be is that if the product is hard to use, if there's lots of extra steps, if it takes up lots of room in the camera bag, eventually the customer is, is not going to want to use it anymore. You know, if it's proprietary, a lot of companies are doing this, where so they're making these filter systems that only their filters will work with you know so what happens if the company goes out of business how are you going to get spare parts how are they going to get replaced what happens when they update that model and we're trying to you know kind of stay away from that our, our system will work with a number of other different systems interchangeably you know if you have that adapter ring or if you have filters you can swap them in and out you know across the board so Just differences in design philosophy, and and again, I always come back to what does the customer want? How can we make it better for them?
0: And now that's the that's the best philosophy you can have as as a producer. I like your particular philosophy of going smaller, lighter, and easier to deal with, because it solves so many problems that I have as a photographer. I I have a tendency to be a little lazy sometimes, and if it's too much (laughs) work to add that that filter on the end of my lens, I'm gonna leave it in a bag or leave it at home.
1: Yes, the convenience is something we wanted convenience with quality. The some of our filters, the ND filters, the glass, so it's optical glass, AGC, Japanese optical glass, 16 layers of multi-resistant coating. We put a hydrophobic coating on it so you can clean it. You can take a, a black Sharpie marker and write on it, and the ink will not dry on the filter. Makes them really easy to clean. Uh the glass on our ND filters, you're looking at 0.7. Uh, you know, seven tenths of a millimeter in terms of th- thickness. We're one of the, the thinnest filters out there and we want them as thin and small and as light as possible. So you wouldn't need to make a conscious decision of, well, I'm not using filters today. I'm going to take them out of my bag. You're like, oh, they're, they're so light and small. I'm just going to leave them in there. You know, the warranty, you know, we have a, we have a lifetime warranty. If there's any ever, at any point, any manufacturing related issue, if, you know, the magnets get weak, if, you know, I don't know, glass is imperfect or whatever it is, we're going to replace the filter. There there are more companies doing longer warranties now. And I think they should. It's sort of like the Craftsman tool back in the days is, is if you have a great quality product and it comes with a lifetime warranty, it takes a lot of the burden off of the customer to to have to worry about, oh, what, I, what do I got to do when I replace this? Whereas you have other Filter companies that there's no, there's maybe a year warranty or maybe a two year warranty, but that's really it. So, lifetime warranty, small, light, easy to use, all of those things together is is what we were going for.
0: Now, I think you hit the mark, at least uh, for the money that I've spent. I'm thrilled with it, to be honest with you. Really appreciate Um, that. And I wanted to have a chance to use it before we had our podcast interview here because I wanted to be able to speak to the product having had it in my hands and having. it to use so we've we've been trying for a little while to to put this interview together but we finally were able to nail down the time and i appreciate that a lot and and i appreciate the fact that the money i spent on the filters was worth it
1: actually yeah so you bet yeah you know the the whole kickstarter thing it was it was kind of crazy took a lot of time i feel good about how we we made we made some mistakes you know there were some things that we did wrong looking back i was like wow i wish we would have done that different Kickstarter and Indiegogo, I mean, they there's some good and bad to it. The good part was I was able to connect with the customers who wanted the product. I see them as equal risk takers, you know, because there's fraud on Kickstarter where people are, you know, they they make an imaginary product with good CGI and, and they raise money and they take the money and run. That has happened many wow. times on Kickstarter. And uh, Kickstarter tries to limit it, but, you know, anybody who's backing one of these products, they don't have a guarantee they're going to get. The product or their money back and I, it's happened to me i bought this like desalinization tool you know portable desalinizer this was like four years ago and if i email them <laughs> today they'll, they'll say yeah it's coming you know hang in there we're gonna ship it here pretty soon <laughs> so i you know i see the backers of kickstarters as um peer like you know, risk-taking peers mm-hmm. these are people who are you know they want cutting-edge technology they want to be you know, the, the first to use the stuff and they're risk takers. So Kickstarter was perfect for finding, I mean, I, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have worked without them, you know? So I'm so grateful and thankful to them. I just feel like, you know, I owe them so much and I want to come through for them so much because they're, they're literally gambling with their money. They don't know who I am. They don't know if I'm going to, you know, so I was like, well, you know, I really got to come through for them. And we had problems, you know, with, with manufacturing delays. But suffice it to say, it ended in November. We started shipping in late, mid to late December. And I think all of them, including the Indiegogos, were finished, I think, first or second week of February. And um, so we, we were able to complete it. Fa- we'll be faster next time. We have a new Kickstarter coming for the next round of filters. We have about 10 or 12 specialty filters coming and uh, probably see that sometime this summer a couple months
0: okay well that's good at least I, I know i'll be spending some money in the summer so <laughs> thanks for that <laughs>
1: yeah you bet and uh no kickstarter was was interesting i had three different companies well the trolls came out from the other companies they were they were going on you know posting on all my videos and it was the same in some cases it was the same words so you know this guy we had ambassadors from other filter companies complaining that i was ripping off another company. I mean, it was all kinds of crazy stuff. I had three different companies threaten to sue me, send me cease and desist letters. One of them is a major filter company. And uh, when I got that one, I was like, wow, we've, you know, we've arrived. And they felt, you know, they felt we had violated their patent. We were familiar with their patent. We designed ours, you know, to not infringe. And we, we responded to them. We haven't heard back. But You know, the the negative side of of Kickstarter is it kind of really puts a target on your back. There were a lot of companies that were really out to get as much of it as they could, you know, promising advertising or whatever. You got to be really careful if you do a Kickstarter project. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. Uh, Highly recommend getting a coach or somebody who has done it before to, you know, navigate. If if that's something that any of your listeners would do is is be very careful with Kickstarter because it's loaded with potential landmines. Wow, no, I I hadn't heard about all of that. That's that's pretty shabby
0: stuff right there.
1: Yeah, the I think the scariest one was there was an advertiser who who said, "Hey, we'll advertise for you, but we we want a percentage of all the sales." Wow. And initially, it sounded great, but until I went in and actually worked the numbers, I, I learned that I would I would be losing money from the from the amount of the percentage that they would take. Plus the fees, plus my production costs. When I added it all up, it didn't make any sense. Even though, you know, they're they're promising they could sell you know hundreds of these things, but when I went in and crunched the numbers, you know, if I was lucky, maybe I'd make ten or twenty bucks on each one. But you know, there's lots of hidden costs and unexpected fees. I'd be losing money. Yeah, you have to be. You have to really know your numbers. Uh, you have to plan for unexpected costs and delays and uh, customer service. Kickstarter is really like a mini MBA school, because it's going to teach you so much about everything. And and, uh, you just have to go with it with the attitude of, hey, there's going to be some problems, we're gonna have to fix them continually, that's never going to end, there's always going to be problems that you'll always have to need to fix. And if you can live with that, you'll be fine, you know, you'll make it through Kickstarter, but very scary a couple times. So it all worked out.
0: Yeah, I think the important thing is with Kickstarter for everybody listening is to realize that it's not a store. So, whatever you spend your money on, you're no, like you said, there's absolutely no guarantee you'll ever see that. And mm-hmm. they can take the money and they can run. However, if you find companies like Maven Filters, for example, that were able to run a Kickstarter and end it in November and have it pretty much done in February the following year. I mean, that's a pretty good track record. So when you come out with something this summer, people can purchase it, at least with the understanding that you've been successful in the past, you have managed to work out some kinks and some issues and that you can deliver the product. So if you find that and you want to back it, absolutely back that. But if it's somebody you've never heard of, be a little leery of it and just realize that the money that you give may not be money or product that you ever see again. So, uh, but in this situation, it's a little different because we've seen it delivered.
1: Right. So people, and that, and and that was one of the reasons I wanted to put my face on it. So if people saw me and know I'm a real person, I'm not hiding behind a company, you know, if, if I defrauded them, they would know exactly who who to go after. And, uh, there's some other things that, you know, your, your viewers can use is that, that if you see the product in the hands of people of, of real humans, that's a little bit harder to fake. If you see a product that's just in a, like a gallery or you know it looks like it could be CGI, I would say be very careful about those, but interacting with humans is a lot harder to to fake. Um I'm thrilled that we have, you know, 2200 happy customers. We we have a way to reach out to them. So the next Kickstarter is going to be a lot easier for everybody. Like you said, they know who I am, they know they can trust me, they know I'm going to come through with it. And we have a great starting place versus not having any. That was the scary part was pushing launch launch button, not knowing if people were going to want it or not, you know, but you just got to take a chance, see what happens. Yeah,
0: I think the, the way that your Kickstarter and Indiegogo turned out, I, I think that people did want it and you were giving them something that they didn't have an option for. So that's that's great. And I'm really looking forward to what you got coming up this summer to see what other problems
1: you're going to solve. Appreciate that. Yeah. We're working on, we have three major products that are not filter related. And then we've got about 10 or 12 new filters. There's a lot of filters we don't have. We, you know, we might even come out with a variable ND, but we wouldn't call it a variable ND. We'd call it a dual polarizer and, um, you know, educate the customer about what this is and what the limits are. But we have a, we have one product that if we can figure it out, it it should change the industry completely. So I'm, I'm pretty wow. excited about that one. That's exciting.
0: Well, I want to shift gears to just to your YouTube channel, because when I was like, oh, I wonder who this guy is. I've never really heard of him before. And I went in and I I looked and I saw 295,000 subscribers to your channel. Mm -hmm. And that is just mind blowing to me when you started it. Did you ever think you would have almost 300,000 people watching you on YouTube? No,
1: uh, when I started the channel, I was a grad student at the University of Alabama, and I had just dropped out of my program, so I was completely broke. I had a huge amount of debt, and I was living with a friend. I mean, it was in a miserable place, and I was teaching. So I was shooting weddings, you know, both video and stills, and I was also teaching at the University of Alabama. I was like, how can I put these together? And I did some research, and I was like, you know what? I think making training videos could be a good, you know, kind of business. So long story short, you know, I got a camera, made the curriculum for it. It was the Canon 40D. And so, you know, YouTube had only been out for like a year, I think. So this was like in 2007 and uh, started posting, you know, just little lessons on photography to get started. And that's really YouTube was really what did it because I was able to find my customers and, and direct them to, you know, a product that they that solved a, prod, a problem for them. And I remember the first sale that I got, I was just jumping up and down, screaming because I knew it would work. And, and then within a couple months, you, you know, things started to take off. I was doing more and more videos and it, it, it was a lot of hard work. But no, when I started YouTube, I had no idea I, I would reach 300,000. And um, my, I don't know, my subscriber base is kind of, it's the new photographer. There, there are definitely bigger channels. I don't really worry so much about the number of subscribers. I just kind of worry about making great content that solves problems for people. You know, that's really what I'm trying to do with my channel. And it's slowed down quite a bit, but I get about, I don't know, maybe a thousand a month now, maybe 1500 on on some good months and just staying consistent and and putting out new videos when new cameras come out. It's really what it's been about for me.
0: And you said you, you started it with the idea of of teaching beginners. And Mm -hmm. I see that. On YouTube, there's a lot of folks teaching, but a lot of it seems to be the advanced techniques. And I don't see a lot of the beginners uh, like your channel is. I I see a lot of gear reviews, a lot of camera reviews, a lot of advanced post-processing techniques. And there's a huge place for people that just bought a camera that have no idea what the people on YouTube are even talking about. When I have people ask me all the time, I'll say, well, you just change the f-stop and they have <laughs> yeah. no idea what the
1: f-stop is. So <laughs> yeah. I have to change the way that I teach. Yeah, there, there's a whole story behind this. Like when, when I bought my first digital camera in 1999, that Coolpix, I don't remember, I, I don't, 950, I think it was called, really weird looking camera. I didn't have any, I didn't have YouTube to go to. I had to learn through trial. I couldn't even find a book on it. I had to to learn through trial and error, and I didn't know what these numbers meant. I didn't know what an f stop was or shutter speed. And it was literally it literally took me two years through trial and error to figure out how to operate that camera. And um, so as I was teaching at the University of alabama, i I, I kind of think I'm a good teacher. You know, I taught freshman biology, you know, for thousands of students at the University of Alabama and I, and it and i was able to hone my techniques and to simplify things and i'm like you know i should apply this to cameras and see what happens so instead of taking 2 years to learn your camera you could learn it you know in a couple hours on a youtube video and what's happening now is the the market has declined because of smartphones mm-hmm. so what we're seeing in terms of camera sales is is a fraction of what it used to be it's i think it was like 10% of what it was at its peak in 2012 2013 14 So smartphones have really, really impacted the interchangeable lens camera market, probably about 10 or 15% of what it used to be. But cameras have become much more complex and a beginner literally cannot get a camera and have an expectation of using it to its full capacity. So that's where I come in. I try to simplify it, make it super easy to, to, to learn and use. The YouTube market has become saturated. People get cameras and they're like, hey, I want to see if I can make money on this. You know, so reviews are very popular because it obviously helps a new buyer. But, you know, I've just kind of found my niche with with the tutorials. I used to do really in-depth comparisons called Epic Shootouts. I, I don't do them as much anymore because of how much work they took. Yeah, YouTube there's there's a lot of really good YouTubers. And there's some that you know, they're just going for clicks. They just want they just want to get traction. They don't really maybe I hate to say this, they maybe they don't care about teaching the material, they just want to get those views and you know, grow and get the endorsements. And I understand the motivation behind it. But the best way to create a channel or a business or a product is to put yourself in the shoes of the customer and say, what is your pain? How can I make your pain go away? That is the secret to creating any good business. If you are able to to ease their pain, you are going to have a business. And and that's the approach that we're taking with the videos and the filters. Well, I I think this
0: uh, this interview has gone in many directions that I didn't anticipate when I, I thought we'd just get on and talk about some filters. But we've gotten on and we've talked a lot about the industry, a lot about YouTube, and I think it's at least for me, it's very interesting information. You have been involved in it for quite some time.
1: I, I couldn't be doing this without YouTube. YouTube is really what has allowed me to connect with my customers and even friends. A lot of my friends are YouTubers, but yeah, you know, sometimes people will ask me. So I shoot a lot of different cameras, and I, and they ask me, you know, what are you, so I I have a you know an R five and R six Mark two. I have a you know three Fujis. I shoot. Um, Panasonic, I have a Sony a seven four. And so the cameras that I'm shooting with change a lot, I'm not really locked into one camera, but I'm, I have lenses for all the systems, even I don't shoot Nikon as much anymore, but yeah, you know, I'll probably get, I'll be getting one later this year. So I'm, I'm kind of all over the place in regards to camera gear. Oh, that's good. I've always been Nikon.
0: I swapped to Sony for a couple of years and then came back to Nikon because I just, I, I liked what I liked and I, I, that's what I wanted to shoot with. Uh, the fact that you shoot multiple cameras tells me that probably each one solves whatever problem it was that you you thought you had at the time. Or maybe you just like different cameras.
1: <laughs> Part of it is, the uh, I do, I do. And there's certain things I like more about some cameras than others. And if you look at some of my older YouTube videos, they were about usability. How hard is this camera to use? It's kind of a very niche topic. But like when the when the Canon R came out, I made this video complaining that it was a really bad design. You know what I'm saying? This is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. And I probably I had all the haters come out and tell me I was wrong, you know, but that's where I I just felt passionate about it. You know, and I developed this knack for saying this is easy to use. This is hard to use. And that really went into the filters, you know, so just something that I felt curious and passionate about turned into a great skill later on and that you know coming back to what you're saying about YouTube was you know you got to find something you're curious and passionate about it'll be a lot mm-hmm. easier if you're curious and passionate about it also wanted to say thank you for the opportunity to, i haven't recorded you know a podcast in years but this podcast allows me to you know share with some of my customers i'm going to share it with them you know i'll send it out to them so they can know a little bit more about the history and the background and you've really kind of Provided a platform for me to do this. I, you know, I don't really feel great about putting it on my own YouTube channel, but in, in a podcast format like this, it's just perfect. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for supporting me, for your interest, your curiosity. When you reached out to me, I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't even know anything about your viewers or how big the channel is. I think it's just a great opportunity, and I wanted to say thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh yeah, no, no problem at all. I was, I was glad that you responded. I, I send out emails all the time. Hey, would you be interested in, in being on the show? And most of the time I don't hear a thing, but you responded right away and said, absolutely. I want to be on it. And that would be, that was great. We had a little trouble nailing it down, but, but we managed to get that done. And I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on to talk about I mean a lot more than just your filters. We covered yeah. Kickstarter, we covered YouTube, we covered learning photography and filters and a little bit of everything. and uh, I that was it's been a lot of fun. We, we ran a lot longer than I anticipated but uh, I am I'm happy that it did.
1: I appreciate
0: appreciate you Jason. Thank you so much. All right, so I am going to close this out and as always, grab your camera. Get off the couch, escape, explore, and create.